grace, mercy, and peace be to you from God our Father and from the Lord Jesus. Amen. On December 2nd in 2012, a Spanish long-distance runner named Ivan Fernandez Anaya was competing in a cross-country race in the Spanish countryside. Anaya was running in second place, well behind the race leader, the Kenyan runner and Olympic medalist Abel Mutai. As they entered the finishing stretch, Mutai, the certain winner of the race, suddenly stopped running. Apparently, he mistakenly thought he had already crossed the finish line. A Spanish newspaper reported what happened next. Fernandez Anaya quickly caught up with him, but instead of exploiting Mutai's mistake to speed past and claim an unlikely victory, he stayed behind and, using gestures, guided the Kenyan to the line and let him cross first. Anaya's sense of fairness would not allow him to take the victory away from Mutai. He was the rightful winner, Anaya said. He created a gap that I couldn't have closed if he hadn't made a mistake. As soon as I saw he was stopping, I knew I wasn't going to pass him. You know, that's a beautiful story in our eyes. Who of us would want to take first place in that situation? Our sense of fairness cheers for Anaya because it's obvious that the first ones should be first. There are many times when God doesn't seem to play by our rules. Someone has said, There is no simple substitute for hard work when it comes to achieving success. As Americans, we believe that. Under most circumstances, that's a true statement. The harder we work, the more good results ought to come to us. Those who sit around don't reap the same reward as those who put in a lot of blood, sweat, and tears. At least, that's how it's supposed to work. The early bird gets the worm. The author of that is unknown. It might have been Big Bird on Sesame Street. Andrew Carnegie is supposed to have said, The first one gets the oyster, the second gets the shell. It's a neat little philosophy of life. Start at the bottom, work your way to the top. Hard work pays off. At least it should. But how does this philosophy translate into theology? Well, in Hinduism, one continues in a circular path through birth, death, and rebirth until through selfless action and devotion one earns the right to break the cycle and become one with Brahman. In Buddhism, through one's efforts and insights in morality, meditation, and wisdom, one can attain nirvana and be in perfect peace. In Islam, those who believe the revelation of Muhammad and do good works will be rewarded with the delights of heaven. Now, while we don't subscribe to these beliefs, they make sense to us in one respect, that the good people, the really, really good people, are the ones that deserve the good end. In our terminology, they deserve heaven. Only the folks who are trying hard to please God 
those that are performing selfless acts, are giving of their time and their treasure to help others. The people that deny their own wants and even needs sometimes are the ones that are pleasing God. It's only natural for us, since this is how our known human world works, to say that there has to be a quid pro quo, especially when it comes to religion, when it comes to rewards in an afterlife. This sort of thing fits our worldview. It's familiar territory. It comports with our thinking. It's how we move up the, la- up the ladder in work or in the military. It's how we get good grades in school, receive promotions, etc. But in Isaiah, God says, My thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. I remember being at Lutheran Valley Retreat for a catechism camp and doing the high ropes course with the kids. We had to climb a 20-foot telephone pole and stand on top of it. I remember how high that felt, how much smaller everyone looked below me when I got to the top. But think about how small everything below looks when you're cruising along in an airplane at 35,000 feet. Now imagine how small even the large cities would be from the space station at 200 miles up. But don't stop there. Imagine that you were looking back at the Earth from the sun, where the entire Earth would look like a tiny disk. But go farther, to the stars, and farther yet, to the very distant galaxies. As the heavens are higher than the Earth, So are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts, declares the Lord. In that sense, we can't even imagine what God's thoughts are, what his ways are. He certainly doesn't operate in the ways that we would expect him to. In our epistle reading, Paul, the apostle that Jesus met on the road to Damascus, the one that he sent to the Gentiles to proclaim Christ, this powerful instrument of God, he's languishing in prison. That's surprising in itself. But then Paul says that what has happened to him has really served to advance the gospel. That's not at all what we would expect to hear. But here Paul says the gospel is being preached to the imperial guard. And they know that he's in prison because of Jesus Christ. Not only that, but the other brothers, the other Christians, have now begun to be bolder in their witness. God operates in ways far beyond us, in ways we don't expect. The laborers at the end of Jesus' parable about the laborers in the vineyard are saying to the master, You paid these who only worked one hour in the cool of the day a full day's wage. Give us then what we deserve. We certainly deserve better than they got. And we certainly resonate with that, don't we? Longer hours, the heat of the day. If we were those workers, we'd sure think that we deserved more from the master. And yet, who among us today 
would demand a quid pro quo from God. We know that we are sinners. We fall far short of the holy and perfect lives that God requires of us. Would we now demand that God really give us what we deserve? Thank God that he doesn't give us what we deserve. That he hasn't given us what we've earned. But that he operates from grace. And where, in Jesus' parable, do we first see God's grace demonstrated? It's in the first words, when the master of the house goes out early in the morning to hire laborers. If no one hires them, they don't earn a living, no food, etc. And the great compassion of the master is more and more evident as the story goes on in that he continues to go out throughout the day to hire whomever he can, urges any and all to come and work in his vineyard. And at the end of the day, he doesn't operate on a quid pro quo basis with the workers. They're certainly not paid according to what they've earned. Each worker, each one that has answered his call to come to his vineyard, receives the same, a denarius, a full day's wage, Even the ones who maybe were lazy and got up late and loafed around then showed up to be hired at the eleventh hour. Even they, when they responded to the master's call, receive a full day's wage. In fact, it's as though they really didn't earn the denarius because of their work, but because the master hired them. This is the picture of the kingdom of heaven that Jesus paints for his disciples and for us today. Our loving Heavenly Father has come and found us and has hired us to work in His vineyard. And at the end of the day, on that last day, there will be a reckoning and all of the workers will receive their reward. And all of us who are are in Christ Jesus will receive the same gift. And I'll call it a gift because it won't actually be a wage just like the workers in the story who only worked one easy hour didn't receive a wage but a gift, a denarius, a whole day's pay, the eternal life and the crown of glory that we'll receive from the hand of our Master will be a gift too. Because really, Jesus has worked for us, has borne the scorching heat of the day and the backbreaking work. He's kept the commandments perfectly and loved others more than himself. And by his death on the cross, he's made satisfaction for our failures and for our sins. On that last day, when the heavenly master returns, what will be our reward? Eternal life in joy and peace or eternal damnation in the fires of hell? Well, all of us who are in Christ Jesus will receive the full pay, the full reward that was earned by Jesus Christ on our behalf. God's thoughts are certainly higher than our thoughts and his ways than our ways. He takes a Saul, one who is persecuting the church and putting Christians into prison, leading them even to their deaths for their confession of Jesus looking to stamp out Christianity altogether, and he turns him into a Paul, one of the greatest proponents of Christ that ever lived, 
so that from prison Paul is able to write, For me to live is Christ, and to die is gain. The compassion and the love of God and His grace has come to you and to me. He's hired us at the price of His Son's life to work in His vineyard, and has promised us the crown of life at the end of the day. For that great love and sacrifice, we thank Him and gather together to sing His praises, and we share with others the good news of God's love for sinners and the glories of His marvelous grace. Amen. Now may the peace of God, which passes all understanding, keep our hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Amen.